0: Welcome to LTN Rewind, where we take a deep dive into the archives of the Love Thy Nerd podcast network and pull out a jewel from our past. This is the Humans of Gaming podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief.
1: Andrew Dixon here to tell you about what you're about to hear. This is a little bit different than our typical episodes. Whenever I have the chance to go to a convention, I like to share as many interviews with the, the cool, interesting, accomplished video game designers I get to talk to while I'm there. And so on this episode, you're going to hear a whole bunch of, in fact, eight short interviews, five to eight minute interviews with game designers that I met at PAX South, Penny Arcade Expo South in San Antonio, Texas. So in this episode, you'll hear from Becca Saltzman. Uh, She is making a game called Overland, this post-apocalyptic strategy survival game. Uh, It's really unique. I like it a lot. Uh, she and her husband uh, have a studio, a publishing studio, called Finji. They've put out some killer games like Night in the Woods. You'll hear from Rami Ismail, who is one half of Vlambeer and is making a new game called Ultra Bugs. Uh, Vlambeer have put out a lot of great games like Super Crate Box and Drowsers and Nuclear Throne. Then you hear from Terry Cavanaugh and Chipzel. Chipzell is doing the music for Terry Kavanaugh's new game, Dicey Dungeon. Terry Cavanaugh is most known for... Um, Super Hexagon and B V V V V. Not sure if I got the right number of V's in there, but uh you'll really enjoy hearing from them. Uh you'll also hear from Kieran Kelly who uh is is and has been working on um Divinity Original Sin 2 and he hints in that uh in that interview about some some new things to come which uh, I think is exciting. So uh also Tristan Barona who is making uh, a really cool new indie game uh, that I'm pretty excited about called Don't Give Up that taps into anxiety and also is really funny, uh, manages to be really funny and unique. Um, you'll hear from Sam McCully and Tom Sharp and Jorge Garcia all uh, making fascinating games that uh, I think are worthy of your time and attention. So, really hope you dig these interviews. And by the way, most of them will be conducted by me. A couple of them will be conducted by other editors at our site. Uh, Aprilin Coet did one. Stephanie Skiles did a couple as well. So, uh, yeah, really hope you enjoy this episode. And uh, be sure to go rate and review us on iTunes. And check out the other episodes we have of Humans and Gaming and our other other podcasts, Replay and the Pull cool List. Thanks. Drew here at PAX South. <laughs> I didn't think about it for a minute I'm tired. I don't know which one it was? So <laughs> yeah. One of the Paxes, you know. Uh, I'm here with Becca Saltzman and uh, Becca tell me a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, I am the CEO of Finji. So we're a small independent developer and publisher. Um, So we've been working on Overland for like five years. We launched Night in the Woods in 2017. We're publishing Tunic um, and also Wilmot's Warehouse. So So
1: Night in the Woods, uh, like I've never met someone who doesn't love it. What's it been like to make a game that's so beloved or to publish help publish a game that's so beloved by so many people?
2: Uh, It was actually like... As someone who worked on the game um, and kind of being outside of the development team, it was really fun for me taking it to shows for years and years because I knew how loved the game was. Yeah. Um, but the team didn't, yeah. so it's been almost more fun watching sort of the shock yeah. from the team, even still almost two years post-launch. Um, like, kind of understanding, like, oh wow, we made this thing. Yeah. Um, but on top of that, like, one of mine and Adam's main goals is to help. Uh, developers be sustainable, um, yeah. and being able to uh, even be like the small help that we were for the team to bring this game like to the larger like population and give them like financial security and healthcare and like yeah, help great. them make more things. Like I don't know, that's honestly what sticks with us the most.
1: Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, that's cool. So tell me about Overland. Uh, what what makes it unique?
2: Uh, aside from the fact that we've been working on it for five years, it's uh, lived in my house I don't know it's a it's a turn based procedurally generated strategy game but because that's not really a genre that I play. Um, We've come at it from kind of almost outside of the genre in a lot of ways. Like, Adam loves XCOM. He loves, you know, Into the Breach and 868 868 Hack, and, like, this is his genre, but um, we were trying to figure out how to bring strategy with as much depth and difficulty to um, maybe someone who doesn't play or who plays only board games. so, we have a lot of, like, interesting story components inside Overland, and um, we focus a lot on the idea that people would play the game together on a couch and bicker, so yeah. it's not multiplayer, okay. but we want people to argue while they play, because yeah. um, that's the way Adam and I play games together. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's you argue a
1: lot. Uh, when you play games? No,
2: it's not that we argue. We like because Adam fun arguing. Well, Adam questions everything when he plays a game because okay. he's a designer. Yeah. So he's constantly like picking apart things. So it's even board games. Like everything is questioning why something works and why the system or the systemic uh, reactions of certain gameplay functions. Like that's just yeah. living with Adam. Um, so being able to play a strategy game like overland but also have story components like it's just the way we love to play yeah it's the way we play stuff like pandemic even right um but yeah it's beautiful our team's amazing a lot of them are actually first time developers like this Uh is their first launch um our art director's uh amazing she's just like a talent that applied yeah um back in the day um but, yeah, it's coming out this year, and we're so excited.
1: Yeah, it's cool. And I think last time I talked to you, you were telling me it's based, uh, or maybe loosely based, on this weird sci-fi novel about trash.
2: and. Yeah, yeah. So that's called Roadside Picnic. And loosely based as in it's an idea that we really find fascinating, which is, okay. like, yeah. um, what happens to humans when something extraordinary happens to them? Yeah. Like, in, okay. for real. Like, yeah. so yeah. it's... We joke, like, there's no Bruce Willis in Overland. Um, You know, he's not going to go up and blow up the asteroid heading towards Earth. Like, what happens to the Earth or to the United States when... Like, you've passed the event horizon. Like, there's yeah. no turning back. Something's happening, and you are just trying to survive. Right. Um, so, in the United States, right. like, Overland takes place kind of after that event horizon in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, we don't have guns in the game mm-hmm. because there's a lot of bullets in the US, but they'll be used up pretty fast oh, right. in an yeah. apocalypse. Um, so, there's like trash, and there's mechanical cars, and there's gasoline. Yeah. Um, and the idea that you know. need to go west. And yeah. while you're going west, west is not anything that you as a player will know initially but the world will get weirder and weirder as you move west okay
1: i like that i like things getting weirder no (laughs) no that's great uh and if you had to narrow down to one thing that you hope players gain from their time playing uh overland what would it be
2: Ooh this is going to come from my perspective and not Adam's so Adam would be like have a really you know hard strategy experience um mine is I really want people who think they don't play strategy games to sit down and play it yeah um we have taken great pains to make the game incredibly approachable and um, accessible—not um, uh, even to a fault. But like, that's sometimes what it feels like. We will rip out the UI. Like, I mean, God, at least a hundred times at this point. Because if I can't sit down and intuitively know how the buttons work, I'm literally going to bounce right off it. Yeah. So I would love for people like me, who are like, you know, I only play RPGs or I only play puzzle games, to so like sit down and be like. I'm gonna have this really cool experience on this road trip, and you know we're gonna make hard choices, and I'm gonna take care of this squad of people, kind of moving across this post-apocalyptic America. Um, so that's what I hope.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I like that a lot. Well, it's it's a it's a great uh, it's a great looking game, and I've played it a couple times at. At, I think at one of the PAXs And I uh, really enjoyed it So I'm, I'm excited to check it out When can we You said hopefully Sometime this year right?
2: It will definitely be oh, this okay. year um, I know the date But I'm not telling anyone yet right. But it will be 2019 And I'm so excited To that's say great. those words out loud
1: yeah, That's cool um, And one thing I'm just sort of curious about Because uh, Like you and Adam Every time I see you guys At conventions You're so fun to talk to Like, And you seem like uh, This is a little nosy Of a question but you seem like you like each other a lot. And video games, especially doing this independently, is really freaking hard, right? It's How so do hard. you,
2: like... How do you guys manage to still like each other and do this together? (laughs) That's actually a really good question. So Adam and I have been married. We got married in 2006. So what is that? It'll be 13 years this year. Um, But we dated for seven years before that. So I've known Adam since he was 16. Um, We were long distance for three years. But the main thing, honestly, is... um, we like We're both really Laid back and chill People yeah. in the first place And the only thing That is really stressful For us is actually Parenting Because we have two Tiny goblin children yeah. like, They're not that tiny anymore They're like almost Six and eight and yeah. they're huge Because we're really tall But um, that's honestly The most stressful thing For us Because we want To make sure That our weird life Doesn't make their life weird Yeah right Um any weirder than it needs to be anyways. So, yeah. I don't know. We just, we communicate a lot and we trust each other a lot. Yeah. Um, he thinks I'm really smart, which is, like, super humbling, but yeah. he's also kind of, like, my hero and mentor in the industry Then yeah. did start out in games. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we just... Wow. So I can count on one hand the number of fights we've had over, the, like, the last 20 years.
1: Oh, wow. So,
2: yeah, I don't know. We're just... just get on really really well
1: that's great Uh, one last question i like to ask designers and developers is why do you do this what drives you to make games
2: uh i want to make beautiful things Uh, i want more beautiful things to exist and if i can provide that opportunity for uh, other independent creators to make a living bringing things um outside of maybe like mass marketing potential like i'll do that in a heartbeat um and i don't know once i got i didn't start out here but once i got into games and i met sort of the community and the people like it feels weird to think about being anywhere else
1: yeah so
2: it's yeah, really
1: cool. great yeah. yeah i love it well thanks so much yeah, uh i can't you. wait to to check out uh, overland soon and uh in tunic sometime in the next couple years year year and a half or so maybe we will see probably 2020 yeah yeah cool we'll be looking forward to it so so thanks so much becca Andrew from Love I Nerd here with Rami Ismail, one half of Lambier, and uh, he's, you're showing a new game here, Ultra Bugs, right? Yes. And you guys have made, I mean, a lot of great games: Nuclear Throne, um, Weird fishing. Ridiculous, fishing, ridiculous fishing, ridiculous fishing, right? Right. Yeah. Was Weird Fishing the the that
0: was? Uh, radical Fishing was before radical that. Yeah. We made at... too many games. We've yeah. done like 18 games in about okay. few years: Super Crate yeah, yeah. Box, Loot Rousers, Rousers, Super
1: Crate Box. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, tell me about Ultra Bugs. What makes it unique?
0: So Ultra Box is sort of a, it's its a game which, it's a top-down shmup. Every time you kill an enemy, it splits into two or more. Yeah. So basically what you're doing is as you're defeating enemies, you're making things harder on yourself. Yeah. You don't really aim to ship yourself. If you shoot, it keeps shooting in the direction you're aiming. If you let yeah. go of shooting, it'll aim automatically at the nearest thing. So it's very much a game about control. It's chaotic. Uh, we like to think that if you play for five minutes, you're five years older. Yeah. It's super intense. It's arcade. It's... Yeah. Um, it's difficult, but it's really fun. Yeah. I like to think of it as a game between games. Like, yeah. You play twenty minutes a day; that should probably be the max you play. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's kind of unique. I mean, there's not like there's definitely a drive I think in this industry to play games that people are just going to sink hours and hours into. Is it was that something that you approached this project with, like, hey, I want to give something that's a little more bite-sized?
0: Yeah, I think so. Like. Uh... I think the industry is moving in interesting directions. Right, the people are playing fewer games for more time. Yeah. Like they play games like Fortnite and League and Dota and stuff like that. And those are amazing games. But I think there's a lot of space for just smaller, like like more bite-sized experiences. Uh, I also think that as game designers, like the two of us got a little tired of trying to make games that just maximize how much people play. Yeah. So instead of getting people to play maximum amount of time, we just want them to get the maximum amount of fun. Yeah. out of as little time as possible so they can focus on other games or play yeah. other games. Yeah, yeah. it kind of reminds
1: me of what JW did with Minute. Like, there's this... It uh, seems like you guys have a desire to respect the player in a way that maybe uh, is somewhat uncommon. Is that is
0: that true? It's a certain type of trust, right? We trust yeah. our players to figure out stuff that we don't tell them. We trust our players to, like, be curious about the design. We trust our players to, like spend time to get better and to like really understand the systems but we also want to respect our players time like it's the most valuable thing they have you buy the game and now you expect that the game respects you I feel that doesn't mean we're going to be nice to you it's still (laughs) going to be hard right like we're still going to like try and find ways that you don't expect to like end your run yeah but At the end, we want you to just have a good time, and we don't think we need to waste a lot of your time to do that.
1: Yeah, that's great. If you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their time playing Ultra
0: Bugs? I mean, I think Ultra Bugs is very much a game about a little bit of zoning out, a little bit of mastery. Yeah. Right? It's a little bit. If you try too hard to like pay 100% attention, you won't do well. So it's a It's a little rush of adrenaline somewhere in the middle of your day, and if you want that, we have it. Yeah,
1: that's great. Is there something that you, because your games are pretty diverse? Is there something? Is there an undercurrent behind all of them? Something that you hope you instill in the people who play them uh, for all your games?
0: I think most of our games are about about mastering something, about understanding something. They're I think a lot of our games are games for game designers. Yeah. Like, they are people that like game design, like our games. There's always something a little deeper. Uh, but I think the, the biggest undercurrent for us is that we don't like doing the same thing twice, yeah. which is why, yeah, we have a very diverse, like, we have a fishing game, we have an airplane game, and now we have a shmup. Like, yeah. it's every time we do something, we just want to do something new. And I think the thing that connects our games is the way they feel. Yeah. Like, they feel like Flamber games. And, yeah. Uh, I love how they feel. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: I love how uh, what, how uniquely your games control, too. I think there's a, a control element that you step into each game going, like, okay, this is going to be unique, yeah. which I really appreciate. Uh, one or two last questions I want to ask is, uh, you know, why do you make games? What drives you to do this?
0: That's a big question. Uh, I think I got into... So there's two answers. One is very practical, which is I'm not good at anything else. Like this is what I've done since I was six years old. I've wanted to be a game developer since I was six years old. I just kept doing that because I got better and better at it. The other thing is I grew up in a a family that's between two cultures, right, Dutch-Egyptian. And Egypt and the Netherlands are not very similar countries, but one thing I always appreciated is if I put a soccer ball on the ground and I kick it at somebody, they'll kick it back. Yeah. Right? Like, we don't have to talk about that. We don't have to understand each other. <laughs> yeah. And I think games are this amazing mm. global language that we have that every human inherently gets. Yeah. Like, being playful, like, doing something that is non-threatening and curious and can tell us something about each other or the world. Yeah. And it might sound sort of, like, ideological, but that's that's what I believe games yeah. are. Like, they're connective tissue between people. So, I... Yeah. I make games because that's the only thing I'm good at, but I believe in games because I believe they will help us be better people. Yeah.
1: No, I believe it too. I think Games are one of the oldest forms of human interaction, and uh, they're culture-shaping, and yeah. uh, they have a great potential for good if we'll just yeah. tap into that a little bit. And
0: I, I think we do already. Like, even the games that a lot of people think about as, like, bad... Like, people talk about Call of Duty and say, like, well, it's a violent game, but at the same time, you know, in every server there's a kit from, like, somewhere in the u.s. playing with a kid from somewhere in russia playing with a kid with somewhere from the middle east yeah and they're just playing the same game like yeah. it doesn't matter where they're from yeah they're playing the same thing
1: yeah that's great uh and uh you know we i talked to you about this a little bit earlier but i think you've kind of developed a reputation in the industry of someone who's you know very, you've been very successful but you're super accessible. Um, like, you've helped a lot of people in this industry succeed. Like, you've helped a lot of other people do what you do well. Where does that come from for you, that desire to help other designers?
0: Well, again, I believe games to have tremendous potential to communicate things we don't know. Yeah. So, it logically kind of follows that the more people are doing it, the better it'll be. Yeah. Right? I believe that people should have the opportunity to make games. If we have a global language, everybody should be able to speak it. Yeah. And it hasn't always been that way for various reasons, opportunities, economies, locations. It's been harder for some people to make games, and I I just don't want that to be true. I want anybody to have the opportunity I had at six years old to sit down behind a computer, be curious about how it works, and then grow a career making games. And I was in the Netherlands, a country that, you know, I got taught five languages growing up. Like... I had opportunities, I had like yeah. things to fall back on, my education was effectively free. Like I had all this opportunity yeah. that was very unique to me, and I just want to make sure that if you don't have those opportunities, if you're not from a place like that, that the games industry is still open and welcoming to you, yeah. and that everybody has equal shot here. So, yeah, okay. it, I mean, you're never going to get that completely right, but like, if I can help, I want to help. Yeah. I want to, and I want to see the games those people yeah, make. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing
1: it because I know a lot of people in this industry, who I've, I've even talked to personally, who, you know, you've helped to make great games, which is an awesome awesome thing to, to be able to, to do. So, yeah, I yeah, really appreciate your time, Rami, this is great. Thanks so yeah. much, this was yeah. fun. Yeah, and Ultra Dogs, uh, you don't have a release date for that yet, do you?
0: So Ultra Bugs is currently slated for as soon as we're done. I don't think it's going to be super long because it's kind of a smaller game. Yeah. I don't want to promise a date yet because I also don't know like what tempo we're going to finish it in. Yeah. But expect it in the next few months somewhere. OK, um,
1: great, cool. Well, we'll be looking forward to it. Thanks again. This is it. That's it for us here at PAX uh,
3: South. April Lynn here with Love Thy Nerd, and I am joined by Terry and Chipsall, two of the designers for Dicey Dungeons. Um, hi, how are you? We're good. Good. Can you tell me a little bit about Dicey Dungeons?
4: Um, yeah, so uh, Dicey Dungeons is a deck building roguelike. Uh, it's basically, you play as one of six different characters. You explore a dungeon and you, uh, you fight monsters, you find equipment, you try to make your way out.
3: And what is one thing that both of you hope players get out of this game?
4: I am really proud of the amount of variety in the game. I'm hoping that that really comes across when people play, that um, it starts very simple with uh, one class that just has uh, simple equipment that they just put dice on, but it gets way, way more complicated and way more interesting. So as you play through all the different classes, uh, it's almost like six different games.
3: Yeah, cool. So I noticed that the Kind of the, the concept came first and then the art and the music happened recently. Um, can you talk a little bit about the design direction that you went with the artwork and the music?
4: Sure. Um, so this started as a game jam game for Seven Day Road like last year. Um, it's now a four person project. We have a programmer, Justo, uh, art director is Marlo, and Nepheer is our musician. Hi. Um, Yeah, uh, I was really interested in making, because it's a deck building roguelike, and roguelikes tend to have a certain, uh, very dark aesthetic. I really wanted to do something that was like, cartoony and energetic and full of energy, and just was a little bit different. Um, okay. So, you know, I look, I look for people that can help me with that, and I think i find found a really great team. Okay,
5: yeah, and your music is very energetic. Thank you. Yeah, I did all the audio, the sound effects as well. Um, so yeah, the music is all written on Game Boy, which is a style that people are familiar with, with me and Terry, um, from Super Hexagon uh all of the sound effects are made on like synthesizers and modular synthesizers and stuff so it's been pretty cool to explore a kind of like cutesy weird trippy um, hyped up like kind of very not your stereotypical dungeon crawler sort of theme
3: so yeah and then did the did the music and the art kind of happen simultaneously or did one come before the other or how did that evolve
4: well, we did start before Marlowe, yeah, and we had we had like a, a month where we just put together a teaser trailer. Mm-hmm. As we were like, I was finishing up the uh, the last free alpha, uh, the last August, and yeah, it took about a month or two for everything to gel. But once they did, it did, it all clicked into place.
3: Yeah. So you were telling me a little bit earlier about the inspirations for this game and how you you know came up with the idea can you talk a little bit about that
4: sure I mean uh, for the jam game this was basically trying to make a Dream Quest like Uh, Dream Quest is one of my favorite games it's this uh, classic deck building roguelike Mm -hmm. and I kind of want to take uh, like the deck building roguelike ideas and do something different with them Mm -hmm. so for seven day roguelike I I, I figured it would be like a really small simple thing like uh, if I add dice to the mix what happens but it just turns out there's like a lot of depth to this concept and there's just way more than I was expecting, which is why I've turned it into a yeah. big project. This is yeah, just, cool. sometimes you hit across an idea that's bigger than you thought it was.
3: Yeah. So I'm gonna backtrack a little bit, talk about Super Hexagon and that game that has lots of V's in the title. Sure, I just say V. <laughs> you say V, that was going to be my question. How do you pronounce it? I alternate between V and V, 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 well, v, v. I really
4: enjoy people's attempts to pronounce it. I, just, I don't really care what people say.
3: Um, so those are both really hard games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what have been the reactions over time to those? I know I told you that I wanted to punch you yeah, after I finished that. I get that a lot.
4: <laughs> um, <laughs> well, no kidding. one's ever really gone through, with it, though? It's fine. People <laughs> often good. threaten, Oh, Here's- I hated that doing things the hard way, but I'm going to punch oh, you in the face. God.
3: Yeah, and there's a song about that on the soundtrack. yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. Magnus wrote something to encourage people, I guess. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, and I guess the last question I have is... Why do you? Why are you involved in this industry? Why do you make games? Why do you make music for games? What keeps you going?
4: Big um, question. That is a big question. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a really difficult one to answer as well. I, um, I'm one of these people who's wanted to make games since I was like, a tiny kid. Um, I had a comic 64 growing up, and I was really fascinated by the idea of, like, when you have a comic 64, it opens with this prompt where you can type anything in, and things yeah. appear on the screen, and just being able to get a sprite on the screen and move it around is kind of magical and once you do that it's i guess for a certain type of person it's really hard to want to do anything else
5: yeah
3: definitely
4: and i mean uh you got a game boy when you were a teenager right
5: yeah so i've been making music since i was 16 on a game boy okay i'm now 27 so you know it's been a pretty long term project (laughs) um but yeah i don't know i guess the reason that i first of all started to make music was just to be able to create something and like yeah. make sense of like your old teenage angst or whatever um, and then I kind of just fell into games thank like the Terry um, and then through that it's just been the like amazing nature of like meeting people at cons and meeting like-minded people and just the sort of creative environment and being able to collaborate with people and make cool things happen that wow. people enjoy so yeah it's cool. Well great, well thank you so much. Thank you.
1: Drew Dixon from Love by Nerd here with Kieran Kelly of Larian Studios and you guys have made Divinity Original Sin 2 yep. and uh, and some other great games as well. Um, yeah, so it's been out for a while but there's still, you told me earlier, your community is still growing. Tell us what makes uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 such a great game that people keep wanting to come back to and stick around with and, and even, you're even growing these, you know, years later.
6: Yeah, so I mean, I think part of it is probably because it's not like a normal, like, you know, the, the big multiplayer games right now, which are like these hour-long experiences. Yeah. Ours is a multiplayer game, but it's it's much more, you know, it's a hundred hours or so. You were saying your team is playing it. And so I think that as people play it, that the the viral spread, if you want to use that niche marketing term. Um, is a bit slower because it's like, well, I've played it now for a hundred hours, and now I communicated with my friend two months after release, rather than a week after release. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. And we've just released the definitive edition back in uh, September, so that gave us a new push because new content and a lot of changes that yeah. made the community happy. But very much, it's all about just keeping the community going by be interacting with it and, and doing what we can for them, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you wanted, if you narrowed it down to one thing, that you hope players gain from their time playing your game? What would it be?
6: Oh, I hope it's a sense of freedom, like um, everything that we do about our design is to give them that sense of freedom of of being an explore the way they want to, to be able to play the way they want to, um, be that as a super hardcore experience or an enjoyable story based experience and then even on the way we design our story it's all about exploring that and stretching the boundaries of what how you want to achieve a certain thing so very much is that i would love them to go away with a sense of that was a game that gave me freedom that you know nothing else can do
1: yeah yeah that's great and uh what what uh how are you guys I, i think you guys have a sort of a relationship with your community that seems to be pretty healthy and maybe even healthier than a lot of other studios because i think it's not uncommon for studios to get on the wrong foot with their community, but you guys have seemed to like have this community that loves what you do and respects you. How do you main that, maintain that relationship with the people who play your game?
6: I, I, um, I guess we're as upfront as we can with them. Um, the kickstarters and, and the way we have communicated over our, our dev experience in general has been has been really healthy for us as a company. But I think because we're honest a lot of that time and we're saying like, well, this is what we're working on and this is what we're thinking and like that type of transparency I think the community has really latched onto. And so we have a core community there well like 42,000 people backed us on the last Kickstarter I'd imagine if we were just do some sort of backing again we'd get more than that because our community is growing yeah. and th- that core community are super communicative with us they're watching everything we do and we're showing them what we're doing we're actually yeah. communicating with them so and, and as, as much as possible we're not we're doing our very best never to make a promise that we can't keep and when we do, we're incredibly sorry about it. and We make sure they know, you know. Yeah. So I, we're always trying to make sure that we're managing and working with their expectations so that they're happy. And we just want that. We just want to make games that our fans love, you know. And yeah. that's that's all that matters to us. That's great,
1: that's great. Uh, one last question I like to ask game designers is, why do you make games? What drives you to do this?
6: Yeah, I remember the last time I answered this question. I, I mean, is it different? Uh, I'll, I'll give you different answers. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I. I love being, like, the gaming industry is where my heart is. I mean, yeah. like, uh, so much of my passion is here, but also um, a lot of my social life is even here. So much yeah. now is is wrapped around playing games with your friends, be that with my kids and board games, or with my wife or my, my, my friends. Like, um, I feel like it's a much more, if you're going to do an entertainment thing, it's the one that actually breeds a community, right? It's the yeah. one that encourages friendships and builds relationships, and I love that about it. So I yeah. want to be part of that, and I love making games that help do that.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Do you play? Uh, are your kids old enough to play Divinity with you?
6: Uh, no, not quite, not yet. Oh, no, they're four and eight, so it's more just board games and very much me doing yeah, stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've got my uh, my daughters on my Switch a lot. I, she plays it more than I do these days.
1: That's great. Well, I uh, really enjoyed chatting with you, Kieran. Thanks so much. And uh, definitely check out uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 if you haven't yet. And also, anything we can be expecting from you
6: guys in the future? Uh, yeah, there's something in the future, for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, we're, we're working on our next thing, and uh, as soon as we're ready to talk about it, we'll be ready to talk about it. Great. Well, thanks so much.
1: That's it for us here at Pack South. <laughs> Justin, what's your last name? Verona. And uh, you, you're you the lead designer on Don't Give Up? Yes. Are you kind of doing this on your own? Uh, you so have- I started, it's
7: conception was over three years ago, and I just started out not knowing really much and just making dinky little pixel art doodles, and dinky little pixel art doodles started <laughs> to become like reminiscent of buildings, and then buildings became landscapes, and eventually over a year down the road I was like I have something somewhat of a game so I got a programmer on board and we worked on it for about another year and a half and we just brought a composer to our team uh, so if you've got a composer a programmer and then everything else that doesn't fall under is me.
1: Okay nice. Cool. You did amazing.
7: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
1: That's cool. Um, so what uh? What was the impetus for the game? Like, where did I know that it's about? Uh, well, oh, tell me what it's about. We'll start there.
7: Uh, so the game is about an antisocial game developer who is at a low point in life, and sort of is at a branch where he's trying to decide what's the point of going on if things always end up badly. Yeah. Uh. So the game starts off with him choosing the what's the point option and then uh, sort of the rest of the game is sort of him trying to bounce back from that yeah. uh, and in order to do that he needs to confront confront the manifestations of things like depression, anxiety and fear that are continuing to affect his world.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure you get this a lot based on the premise of the game, but is it somewhat autobiographical?
7: Yes, I do get that a lot. And, I, you know, the funny thing about this game is what I hear most, uh, somehow, despite its mature themes and sometimes over-the-top humor, uh, all age groups seem to like it. Children like the art style, but the older folks always say it's relatable. And I find that very funny because... We all go through stuff. We all have difficulties. And while this game might seem like really over the top and kind of sad, we've all had sad moments and we've all had these internalized feelings. But in society, we're sort of designed to keep that to ourselves. And it's kind of strange because having issues is just kind of human. You know, we all go through it and yet we feel the need to put a veil over it. So in a way, this game is an attempt to sort of bring that to light in a fun and approachable way for people who don't know what dealing with mental illness is kinda like and it sort of puts it in a package where it's kinda understandable.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, kinda one of your goals it seems like is to, to maybe bring some awareness or at least some some uh, sympathy for people who are going through this if, if they're not going through themselves? Yeah, I believe it's a
7: hugely important thing. I think, you know, it's hard when you're someone who doesn't deal with mental illness to really empathize with something you can't see so i think what i really like is that i personify those things like in the beginning where you just played you know in reality no one should feel like harming themselves but when you have things inside of you that are making you feel like that's the only way out you know sort of personifying that and saying hey this isn't me, I want to be happy, yeah. but things going on inside of me are keeping me from doing that. Yeah. So I think the package that I'm putting in, sort of in the game, it, it <laughs> makes it a little bit more easier for someone who might not deal with that or have experience with that to be a little bit more empathetic and understand it a yeah. little more.
1: That's great. Have you talked to people who have um, who've played your, have people who have gone through some of that stuff that uh, had suffered some from anxiety and mental illness issues Uh, Have they played your game? What has their response been? They
7: they generally, I get a lot of people who say it's extremely relatable. um, And that's just, that's kind of the major thing people say to me. I, I get a lot of, it's relatable, especially, you know, people, a lot of times people find comedy funny because it's relatable. And one thing that I've noticed is that people will sometimes laugh at moments in the game that are sort of dark, but they're laughing because it's relatable, not because they think it's, like, comical or funny. Right, yeah. So you can see sort of in the way people respond and laugh at moments. It's not a that's funny laugh. It's a I've been there yeah, at one yeah. point in time kind of laugh. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great.
1: Well, I really appreciate the heart behind it. If you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you have players gain from their time playing your game?
7: Oh, man, that is a loaded question. Uh, I think I think what they will get from playing the game uh, is sort of a really unique experience that makes you care about characters and a story in a humanizing way uh, that's very unique to indie games I think you just it's something that you've just got to experience there's a lot going on and uh you'll definitely resonate with the characters and see a part of yourself in the game.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I played it for just a few minutes earlier, and uh, it's, it's pretty funny. Like, it's got a kind of a, I don't know, it's a quirky uh, sense of humor that I really appreciated. Yeah. Does, does that come from you, too? Like, you, you do yeah. a lot of the writing? I,
7: yeah, I do all of the writing, and uh, I inject a little bit of myself into all of the games. When it comes to writing the dialogue, When it comes to writing for Triss, the main character, the way he's written is, what would I say in this situation or what would I do in this situation? So everything kind of falls into place around him, and it makes writing the game
1: not easy, but very natural. Yeah, yeah. One of the mechanics uh, when you battle, and the actual battles in the game, is this uh, small talk feature where you try to... Give a cut down to whoever you're fighting or whatever. Uh, Is that from you? Do you like you? When you mess around with your friends, is that what you guys do? Uh,
7: Yeah. So I'm actually originally from New York City, from the Bronx. Uh, It's a rough around the areas neighborhood where we sort of show love to each other by dissing each other and insulting each other. So it like if somebody's wearing a pair of shoes that like. I don't have holes in them, like, we'll make fun of them, but it's really just all love. Uh, so, yeah, that was a huge part of me growing up.
1: Uh, so, another question I like to ask game designers is, why do you make games? What drives you to do this?
7: I don't know what else I would do with my life. I've been playing them since I was a child, and uh, making, sitting behind a desk, making other people's dreams come true. I I just had to strike it out on my own and give something to the world uh, that they would remember from years to come. Uh, I, as a 31-year-old adult, still remember games that I purchased as a child when I was 10 that are still clear as the light of day to me. Like, I remember purchasing Prono Trigger, and I remember the name of the store, even when I was just, like, eight years old. It was called Universal Games off 3rd Avenue, and, like, I want to make a game so good that people will remember that level of detail 20 years down the line. That's what I'm striving for. That's
1: cool. Well, I really enjoyed it. It's really unique. Not quite like anything I've seen here at PAX, so I'm excited to uh, see it when it comes out. Do you have a release window?
7: The release window is, I mean... I'm a perfectionist, so so far my targets have never hit, but that always results in a better game. But the current target is July latest. We're going to try and make it for June, but July is what I'm comfortably saying will be go time for the game.
1: Yeah, cool. We're excited about it. Thanks so much for showing it to me. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it.
8: I'm Jorge Garcia from League Game Studios, uh, developer of Tunche. Cool.
1: And tell me about Tunche. Well, uh,
8: Tunche, am I saying it right? It's a, since the name is in Spanish, it's pronounced Tunche. But we okay. don't mind, I mean, if people, as long as people know about the game, that's fine. Yeah, right. Well, uh, Tunche is a 2D beat-em-up game uh, with roguelike mechanics. Uh, we want to make something like a mix between Castle Crashers and something like Dead Cells or Rogue, uh, Rogue Legacy. Yeah. So you have to beat the whole game, and if you die you bring back experience points, you become stronger you earn new skills, and then you yeah. try again. Yeah. Uh, but you can play it co-op, uh, there are four different characters for you to level up and well, that will be the final game. Okay. Right now, uh, during PAX we are demoing a special uh, ar- uh, arena mode, it's called Tuncha Arena it's like okay. a special demo you can download from Steam the single player version, but here on PAX we have co two different characters and, well, the players have to beat uh, eight waves of enemies and a boss. We want to make sure the combat is fun, that they can do many combos and, well, that they enjoy the game.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you said it's inspired by, like, Peruvian or oh. Amazonian folklore?
8: Yeah, uh, the whole game is inspired by different uh, legends from Peru, from Brazil, from different countries in Latin America that that touch the jungle, yeah, that yeah. are uh, near the Amazonian jungle. So for example, our bosses are based on different legends. Like there is a, a legend about a pink dolphin that kidnaps people. That's one of yeah. our bosses. Yeah. There is also like this huge slot-like creature with a huge mouth on, on his stomach, with yeah. fangs and everything. That's another boss. Okay. Uh, even cool. Tunche, the, the, the name from the game, that's another legend. Yeah, yeah. So we are using a lot of that.
1: So it's one of your goals of the game to sort of introduce people to that culture a little bit and some of the, you know, some, some of the
8: Culture and uh, that kind of thing. Well, uh, we're a uh, Peruvian studio. Yeah. Uh, we so we'd like uh, people to get to know that many people know the Incan culture back yeah. in Latin America, so that they are pretty famous already. But not that many people know that there are, there is a lot of mythology, a lot of legends, a lot of stories from the jungle too. Yeah. So we want to use that. And we want to we want people to, to know that we have something rich over there. Yeah. So we don't want to make like a uh, let's say. A, uh, and a game that talks about the stories, uh, talks about the folklore. We want to make our own interpretation of those yeah, legends yeah. so that when people play Tunche, they want to know more about those. Uh, so they go to the to internet, to Google, yeah. and they learn more. Yeah. So we take inspiration, but we are not uh, like. Uh, we are reimagining the lanes. we are not doing them just like they are, like yeah, they sure. were.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really creative, it's really beautiful. Uh, all hand-drawn art, you said.
8: Yeah. Yeah. Each frame of the game, each animation for each enemy, each boss, each character is hand-drawn. So, we got a team of uh, three artists plus one art director, and they are doing everything by hand.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, it looks great. If you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players get out of their experience? What do you hope they gain from their time playing the game?
8: Well, uh, first, uh, from the demo, we want them to enjoy the combat. We want them to, uh, to try it and have fun so that they know that they can download Tunchi at their houses, at their home, play with someone else once the co-op demo is available. And from the final game, well, we want people to know about the legends from the jungle. Yeah. And also, we want them to know that there are games like this, uh, indie games, but they are full of uh, complex mechanics and yeah. a lot of fun coming from Latin America. Yeah, that, that there is an industry there growing and, yeah.
1: well... Yeah, 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 and you were telling me earlier, you're one of the few uh, studios in Peru making yeah. games. So that's got to be pretty exciting for you.
8: There are there are a bunch of studios. Uh, it's yeah. not like they are one or two. There are many, uh, they really a dozen of uh, studios, Okay. Yeah. but they are all small and, um, well, uh, the industry in Peru is not very famous, uh, right. we don't get that much support, so right now we are working with uh, our publishers over uh, um, on Hubdrain Digital, yeah. they are from Russia. Yeah. So we're working with them uh, for Tunche, we want uh People to know that there is an industry in Peru and yeah, uh, that they can find really good developers down there.
1: Yeah, that's great. One last question. Why do you make games? What drives you to do this?
8: Uh, what drives me to make games? Yeah. Well, that's something I've been wanting to, to do since I was little. Since yeah. uh, since I was uh, at the school, uh, I always wanted to make games. Uh, originally, I wanted to, to travel overseas and study somewhere else, but, well, I got stuck in my country, so uh, I still have the same dream, and we are all just uh, in leap. In in our studio, we are all a bunch of people that want to make games. Yeah. So that's like our, our, our passion. So that's yeah. what drives us. Great.
1: Well, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate
9: it. Yeah. Tell me your name again. Yeah, my name is Tom Sharp, and I'm the director of Gossamer Games. Cool. And
1: uh, and your game is Soul. Yes. Yeah.
9: And what is your role on on the team? So I'm officially the director, whatever that means. So okay. really, that just means I do bounce around and do a little bit of everything: okay. programming, art, marketing, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what you do when you're indie. You. you do a bit of everything, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. So tell me about Soul. What makes it unique? Yeah.
9: So Soul is this uh, ethereal adventure game where you're painting with light as you're exploring. Uh, so we drop you into the world and let you explore at your own pace. We don't tell you where to go or what to do or anything like that. Just kind of let you explore and uh, discover the world around you. Yeah, and the world is dark
1: and you're lighting it up essentially?
9: Yeah, so everything starts out totally dark and then as you're lighting things up, they'll stay lit up the entire game. So you can always see where you've been and still need to go based on what's light and dark. Yeah,
1: and it seems like maybe there's like a mythology to this world that you're lighting up.
9: Yeah, definitely. So we don't have any explicit characters or dialogue or or story like that. So really you're going through the environment and trying to discover the history of the world around you.
1: Cool. If you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their experience playing your game? Mm. I would hope that they sit
9: down and uh, just have kind of an introspective experience and come up with their own conclusion on what the world means and what the story means to them personally. Um, because that was important for us, designing a, a game that everyone could have a different personal interpretation and a different personal experience with. Yeah, yeah
1: that's great. And... Uh, so you know you talked about earlier about how this is sort of a like a bit slower experience like more it certainly uh leans heavily into the aesthetic experience of the game is that important to you to to make a game that's maybe um you know there's a lot of flash and bang and bombast in this in this industry but but you're doing something that's more i think maybe more Ephemeral or something, I don't know the word, but... Yeah, definitely. I mean, so our our goal with Gossamer
9: Games is uh, to basically take kind of our life experiences and... um, just emotions that we're feeling and, and p- to put them into video games. Yeah. Uh, so we're trying to do that with Soul uh, and kind of putting our own feelings into the, the movement of the game and the choreography and the music and all these things.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, it's beautiful, and I really enjoyed playing it. It was a nice change of pace for uh, the show here for me at PAX. Uh, so, yeah, thanks so much for your time, man. Yeah, thank One you. last question i yes. like to ask uh, designers is, why do you make games? What drives you to do this? I believe that video games are
9: the most important cultural medium of our generation. And I think that we are in the perfect time where we have the ability to influence the direction that this art firm is going to be going for the next century or two. Um, and I think that is so important for uh, for culture and for art, uh, and it's so exciting to be part of that and to, to have a say in the direction it's going to be going in. Cool.
1: That's great. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Sam, and what's your last name? Macaulay. And what is your role with uh, Bluefish?
10: Uh, producer and QA manager.
1: Cool. And uh, tell me, like, I know you, you guys got a lot of games here. Is there, Is there—is there, like, an underwriting current behind all your games that, that you guys that you guys publish?
10: Uh, so we kind of look for something that's unique in yeah. in some way. So we look at stuff like projection and that whole shadow manipulation we hadn't seen done before. Yeah. we thought, that's fun. Let's play around with that bit. And the minute we got it on consoles, it was like, this is accessible to everyone, super fun, let's go, keep going with this. Yeah. Same with some of our other games, like Minesweeper Genius and Jack Quest. They, they're all simple to, I guess, simple to play, difficult to master, but it gets you in the door. I mean, kind of, kind of gets that excitement going. Cool. Uh,
1: and so, uh, Projection, that is coming out this year, right?
10: All things considered, it should be out this year. Okay. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, tell me that that was designed with. Uh, there's some like um, other cultures that were consulted and religions and things that were in the in the making of the game. Oh,
10: yeah. No. So we looked at. Well, the developers looked at it from the standpoint of any culture that has used shadow puppets to okay, tell stories. Right. Yeah. Shadow and so puppet. So the main story, character is yeah. a shadow puppet. Yeah. So I think you you start out in Germany as a little girl who's just loss of parents yeah and then you go through countries such as indonesia china turkey germany and england yeah okay and yeah. obviously we wanted to get that right and i guess cool. stay true to that theming so we kind of consulted with other other cultures got a sense of hey would it be out of place to put this in like yeah. not making not appropriating something just for the sake of the game trying right. to make it right yeah
1: no i like that that's cool and then obey me uh what tell me tell me about that one
10: Yeah, so Abame is like a top-down 3D brawler. Yeah. um, As one person's called it, it's holy punk. Okay. What does that mean? What does it mean? (laughs) It's just like steampunk. We're trying...
1: We're playing with heaven and hell. Yeah, we're just trying to
10: brand it like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, I mean, with with it, you play as Vanessa, as a demon hunter, essentially. With her partner and demon dog, Monty. Okay. Essentially just... There's an overarching storyline, but just tracking down different bad guys. Well, bad bad guys and you guys. Yeah. Because cool. I, I get the sense you're not the nice people. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's cool. And then Jack West. Tell me about that one. Yeah. So Jack West is a Metroidvania sort of pixel platformer. Yeah. So it's super fun, super hard. I die a lot. Basically, you'll run through, it, collect weapons, upgrades, health specials and you've got a you're with rescuing your girlfriend who's just been kidnapped by uh evil orc. okay so it's all one big cavern underneath and as you go along you'll find locked doors and you need the right gear or keys to get through yeah and so there's a lot of doubling back
1: yeah cool and if you had to narrow it down to one thing that you hope players gain from their time playing your games what would it be
10: um i'd probably i'd really hope that Honestly, they kind of develop a bit of patience because, like, a lot of a lot of the time we see a lot of people just rush through it, and that's fine. Like, people do that, but what you'll notice when you play stuff like Projection, you can rush through it, you'll do terribly. Yeah. Same with Jack Quest. It's like stop and think a little bit, maybe. Make some plans. Yeah. Plan ahead. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool.
1: And uh, last question I like to ask people in the industry: Why do you make games? What drives you to do
10: this? Um, Basically, I didn't have. A brother that was interested in playing games as a kid. I had a sister. She didn't like games. I enjoyed just the storytelling aspect, and I think over time it's been growing and growing to be more cinematic, which is yeah, great. to See, honestly, for me it was Last of Us. I played Last of Us and thought, wow, yeah. that is a story. That and Bioshock, and like that's what we aim for. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, thanks, man. Enjoyed, uh, enjoyed looking at it. Cool. I appreciate the time. <laughs> so much for listening to this special episode of humans of gaming be sure to go rate and review our podcast on itunes or wherever else you you consume podcasts uh, you should be able to find this just about anywhere you listen to podcasts if you can't find it where you like to listen to podcasts let us know and we'll do our best to get it there also i uh, would encourage you to go check out our other podcasts the pull list is our new comic book podcast that digs into why comic books matter and also digs into the connection between faith and, and fandom and comics. Um, it's really great. Go check it out. Don't miss our free play podcast as well. By the time this comes out or we very close to it, we should have an episode dedicated to Pack South, which we unpack some of our favorite games of the show and some of the things that are just going on in the world of Love Thy Nerd. Um, again, thanks so much for listening to this show. Uh, if you love it, would you tell a friend about it this week? Maybe post about it on Facebook or Twitter or, or Instagram, wherever you do life. Uh, go follow us on all the socials. You can follow me at and Drew, uh, 82 on Twitter. Uh, follow Love Thy Nerd on all the socials at Love Thy Nerd. We have a great Facebook community. Go join it if you haven't. Just search for Love Thy Nerd Community on Facebook. That's it for us this week. We'll see you again next week for part two of our PAX South 2018 interviews.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of LTN Rewind and taking a deep dive with us into the archives of the Love Thy Nerd podcast network. We'll be back with another one soon, but until then, quit living in the past, man. Oh, and Jesus loves you, nerd.